I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and co-owner of PurePleasureShop.com. And I'm April, sex toy maven, VP of Hot Octopus, and I've dedicated my life to the business of sex. We're two people with a passion for educating and inspiring shame-free conversations about sex and relationships. Welcome Welcome to to the the Shameless Sex Revolution. Revolution. Want to learn more? Go to ShamelessSex.com. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSSEX at PurePleasureShop.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. All right, everyone, it is interview time, and you're going to love this title. Maybe it's the title of this episode. I don't know if we made it the title yet because that's the future and this is now. But we are here today with Mish, a retired elite rhythmic gymnast turned kinky poly nudist healer. Love it. (laughs) I already am like, yes, I'm so excited to hear this story um, (laughs) uh, about your life story. And also, um, whenever we do life stories from people, there's always tips and tricks in here because we're really interested in um, you know, what help people along their way to discover who they are as sexual beings, especially wildly free ones such as Mish. Uh, and oftentimes that comes with learning through um, shame and trauma. So stay tuned for a fun adventure uh, and to learn some things. Uh, so everyone already heard a little bit about Mish in the bio, in the intro. But Mish, can you tell us a little bit more about where you got to, how you got to where you are today in the field of sexuality? Mm. Good question. So I got here in the field of sexuality through a lot of exploration, um, starting in about like high school era. And I just had a lot of really open and free friends, which I was really grateful for with a lot of older siblings that had this very sexual energy coming through because they were in college and we were in high school. And uh, so I had a, a bit of an example from that. And then through a lot of trial and tribulation, Throughout college and different relationships, I came to the realization after a really toxic dynamic on both ends uh, that I was poly and that I was kinky and that I had certain needs and then went on a self-discovery journey in 2018 to really figure out and hone in what those values were. And when I finally made it to Vegas, I found this incredible sexual community that uh, helped me put it to practice. So that's that's how we got here. Love it. I love a good story that also has a rhythmic gymnast um, <laughs> retired. I was a gymnast, now. by the way. Too. I was, but but rhythmic gymnast. So re- remind me. Um, and I they're the ones and that do w- the, ribbons? the ribbons. Okay, because yes. I love that so much. At the Olympics, I watched that with full and other utter, um, just complete, uh, like um, enjoyment and um, elation and kind of excitement because it's the most beautiful thing. So, and you were an elite rhythmic gymnast for one and you retired. So what brought you from this realm into the poly and kink scene? Yeah, good question. So like I said, it all started in high school and just, you know, teenage hormones, you start experimenting with people, you start getting into your first relationships, things of this nature. So I was starting to explore all of this, even as a gymnast. I was competing through during the years of 2009 to 2011. We were going for the 2012 London Olympics. And unfortunately, in rhythmic gymnastics, there's a lot of rules. Uh, and I was doing group, which is like eight people on a mat, or I'm sorry, 
Uh, it's like it's five people on a mat doing the same routine. There was sometimes eight. People That's the team. hardest. That is so fun. It's like synchronized swimming, yes. synchronized dance. It's so sorry to interrupt, but that is the coolest thing to watch. Yeah. The Olympics are next year, 2024. Yeah. I cannot wait. Oh my God. Okay. Just get it ready. That is so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was doing that and you know, I was just a regular teenager that liked to party and I, I played hard and I partied hard, you know, and, uh, and I worked hard. And so gymnastics was like a full-time job. And then I, to blow off steam, I would go and hang out with my friends from high school. And, and that's when really I started experimenting a lot with kind of having multiple partners because of gymnastics. I did not have time for a like full-time boyfriend, like some of my friends that were just going to high school and doing, you know, school sports or school clubs or whatever. I mean, I'm training like 30 hours a week. So I was like, I remember when I fully committed to gymnastics at the age of, I was like 12 when I like committed to myself, I was like, okay, we're going to do this. Right. And at that same time, I'm watching all my friends go through all this drama of like, oh, he broke my heart, this, that, and the other, you know, like nonsense. And I was like, I just don't really want to do that. I want to focus on gymnastics. And so simultaneously, I committed to gymnastics. I also committed to myself as like a single entity. And I wasn't going to be in a relationship until after I retired, or if I found somebody that could like balance both with me, mm. which did end up happening at the end of high school um, when I was 17. But so it kind of was part of the reason that I started experimenting with multiple partners because I wasn't really committing to any one person. However, I didn't want to be like, hooking up with the whole school. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, I had a couple of friends that I played with and everybody knew, and it was all very, I, I would say it was, it's, a, it's, it's as consensual as it could have been for a 15 year old, mm -hmm. you know, and so evolved for a 15 year old. Oh, that's impressive. Where did, I mean, you don't need to give us your address, but like, where you grew up in like a progressive community or cause I, I feel like I grew up in Santa Cruz and that wasn't even, I'm 38 now, but that wasn't even a thing where like, you know, people, I, I think it should be like, you should be like, Oh, I'm dating multiple people. And everyone knows about it. And it's cool. But I'm pretty sure they're still like, you slut. Yeah. Well, it was, it was definitely like a hush. It wasn't like something that I talked to people about. Right. People definitely had questions. They're like, wait a minute. We saw, you know, Michelle with so-and-so, or we saw this person, you know, with her at, the, at a different party. And it was kind of just this, like, I just was like, yeah, I, you know, I was having a good time over here with my mm -hmm. friend and I was having a good time over here with my friend. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like I was kind of this enigma. I, I, because I didn't go to school full time, I trained all the time. I think I had over a hundred absent days my junior year of high school. So I really only went to like 80 school days or something like that. I don't remember, you know, but I was absent more than I was there. So it kind of gave me a lot of freedom to be able to just sort of be whoever I wanted to be without having to deal with all the drama of high school adolescence and nonsense. Um, and so, yeah, and it wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't call myself Polly at the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the language. I didn't know that's what was going on. I was just doing what felt good to me and communicating as best as I could at the time and experimenting with friends. And then as I got older, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I actually really like that kind of dynamic. And I'd like to figure out how I can make that more committed because I do want partnership that's on a more committed level. And I don't know if I just want it with one person. Mm -hmm. To me, it's really intriguing to think about 
how the fact that you had this alternative high school experience, right? Because yeah. you were a professional athlete. And yeah. so your your whole thing was, I didn't get tied up in the drama because I wasn't shamed because I wasn't in school enough to be shamed because I was busy with my being a gymnast, being an athlete. And I think if you, if you could imagine what people, if they were growing up and when they started getting sexual and if they, if, even if you didn't have the language, right. But having the freedom to experience experiment without the shame of, Oh, the slut shaming mm -hmm. and the, um, the, the things that you were talking about too, Amy, when you were like, I, I didn't have the capacity to do that. Even if you had the desire, because right. you would get probably put in a corner and it would be really difficult to even go through school, to show up at school, to attend classes mm -hmm. because people would Probably kids are mean kids mean. are mean yeah I, I remember in high school my own experience but also like i know this is, applies to most people in elementary junior high high school when it's if it's really hard especially because the like the social circles and the people feeling ostracized or picked on you know it's kind of just you wait when you get older it gets easier or it changes because imagine like not imagine we've all done it you're with the same people five days a week for so long you're a little bubble or some people have a really big bubble but like I'm you know it's a town of 1200 people yeah it was it was you fart and someone talks about it at the grocery store but then okay? when, but then you're finally 25 and no one's talking about your toot at the grocery no. store anymore because they have bigger problems so but yeah so i think i mean i don't still don't know the answer to this like how can more people have an upbringing such as as yours in a way where you can embrace that um but I think that's fucking awesome. So I'm curious. Uh, this isn't even on our notes, but I really want to know about this. I'm always curious about this with people. Do you remember your very first kinky experience that showed you, oh, I'm a kinky person? <laughs> Is there like a story or or like a theme or a person or an experience that you had? Yeah, it had to have been in college. And, and I had... So part of my understanding that I was poly was that I found myself, um, we're going to call it cheating because I was in a monogamous relationship. We done but that. I'd always, okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there, yeah. yeah. So, but I would always tell my partner that I, that I was like, Oh, last night, you know, I messed up, you know, and let's work through it right now. I hurt your feelings. Let's work through it. So that's kind of how I learned that I was poly. And so then, so then there's this guy that I'm hooking up with I've now broken up with my monogamous boyfriend, love of my life in high school. And um, I'm now continuing to hook up with this guy. And he and I have a very interesting dynamic. We're very much just like each other's fuck toys, right? <laughs> and I remember one day he just started doing like kind of crazy things to me. And so like, for example, um, instead of just like fingering me with one finger, he started using like four and like going a little bit deeper. And I was like, Oh, I don't know about that. Like and he's like, just, just breathe. And I'm like, okay. And then like, suddenly he's fisting me and I'm like, Oh, I like this, you know? Mm -hmm. like, so you were in a hard, good. no, you were like a maybe you were I was like, like I'm a maybe. A maybe. And yeah. then you were like, okay, I'm going to breathe into this and go. And then you were like, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Absent Ooh. of coercion, more curiosity yeah. and coercion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that was kind of our entire dynamic right at the beginning. I actually just reconnected uh, with him in person. We stay in contact via, you know, text message and things, but uh, he lives in Dallas now. And I went to Dallas for Thanksgiving and we went and had lunch and I was just chatting with him about how grateful I am for the amount of 
crazy experiences that we had in like such a safe container Mm -hmm. where we could just be exactly who we wanted to be. And he was a wild one, you know, and, and so, and he was also the first person that I started playing with like switching roles. So as a woman, I think you just kind of naturally fall into this like submissive space. And then there was an interesting dynamic that ended up occurring where he could not perform. So then I had to like, I would entertain myself. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I started doing was like fingering him Mm -hmm. and, and I would like, then like tell him what to do and like kind of boss him around. I was like, Oh, this is kind of fun. Like I'm I'm liking this, you know? And later I learned that that's more like Dom, like dominatrix Mm -hmm. behavior. And I started playing more in that space when I found a, my second partner. And so I, I, I was seeing him and this other guy for about like two years in college Mm -hmm. and both were very kinky in different ways. Um, and it was just a really fun dynamic to just explore in. So that dude was like your your sexual gateway yeah. drug. Yes. Like it was yes. like that was that was like I think we've called people that initiate these Are different. Justin Termino have one. I, there was, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. better because I don't like saying sexual Sherpa because it sounds like that's like in Nepal when you mm-hmm. need to like climb K two or you know yeah. um you need to climb Everest, a mountain. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Everest. Um, isn't K two in Nepal it, as well? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the more dangerous one. Anyway, <laughs> so sexual gateway drug or sex, yeah, sex gateway that. human. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. He was definitely my sex gateway human. He was the first one I did anal with. Like he's the first one. We did a lot of things together. He put me to sleep. Like it was, yeah, it was a good time. Wait, like in a sleeper hold or what? Wait, in what? Yeah. Like he like choked me out to the point of like, pat, like black, you know, like in the UFC where people get knocked oh. out. It was like that kind of experience. And this is consensual. It was, it was well, I was accidental for it. Okay. I didn't ask for it, but he looked at me. We we're in the shower. And he's like, do you trust me? And I was like, yeah, he's like, turn around. And I like breath play. Like we've already played with like choking and things like that. So he knew that I was interested in breath play. And so then he just like wrapped his arm around my neck and was like, count to count to 11. And by seven, I was done. Oh, wow. And it was, it was euphoric. It was like the, the first time in my life I'd felt like pure gratitude and joy. And I've never really uh felt that from a choke but again <laughs> I, I feel like it's like it's probably like i'm not i've not been choked to that point and i've only done like two whippets in my life i imagine it's kind of like a whippet <laughs> kind of yeah I've like, never a whippet. nitrous Wait, yeah so, so how long are you how do you know how long you like go to sleep for not or? very long it's okay quick yeah, it's pretty quick. It's like we were in the shower. So he just like turned the water to cold. Like I, I went limp. I He turned me on my back and then like turned the water on cold and just like smacked my face. And I came yeah. back too. Yeah. yeah. And word of the wise, everyone listening, this is not um, this is not for beginners. This no. is for people who know what they're doing. And so if you want to go get into breath play, please do your education yeah. extensively. Yes. Um, because there could be some magical things there. April likes being choked. She's all about it. I do. Yeah. I've never been choked to that point. I have been choked. To the point where I was like, okay, I tapped out where right. I was like, okay, okay. Like, cause I, I was starting to go black where you, yeah. like you, uh-huh. everything kind of goes into a, you a have tunnel a short window, right? Then, yeah. yeah. You have a short window. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course, and you like, have a partner that listens and you have that yeah. conversation. I, I yeah. use yeah. tapping cause you can't really talk. So I totally. use a tapping where I'm like, no, no, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. like it's, I think a three tap and it's a hard yes. tap. Yeah. It's like, gotta be. Bye. Yeah. Precise. Yeah. Yeah. Precise. Yeah. Like the one time I went skydiving and the instructor who I knew was like, do you want to pull the parachute? Like we were tan. I was tandem with him. He said, do you want to pull the parachute? I was like, I was going through a heartache. I was like, I have a heart. I was like, whatever. I don't fucking care. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to give you a hand signal. This is like 10,000 feet in the air. I'm going to do like this thing in front of your face. We jump out of the plane 
And he keeps like doing these like signs in front of my face that are like, but because you can't talk, you can't hear anything. And so he's trying to do, I mean, I'm like, are you trying to stoke me out and show me that we're not dying by being like, or is this the time to pull the shoot? It was like a, it was like a hang 10 sign or hang like, loose or whatever. Communicate. Right. Like, if I don't pull the shoot, we're going to die. So I'm yeah. like, I'm going to pull the shoot. So I pulled the shoot like was way it too early. early. Oh yeah. my God. Which is like nothing bad happens other than you're just yeah. like the free fall part is over. Anyways, this is why negotiating extensively is really important. Everyone, including yeah. skydiving. Yeah. <laughs> Ask your questions. Yeah. It's like getting a tattoo. You know, it's like, don't do it if you're not a hundred percent with the person. <laughs> yeah. I will. I look at a lot of uh, bad tattoos online just to yeah. make sure that you don't get one. I don't get one because I'm like, yeah. oh, uh, because people are like it's it was supposed to look like X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yeah, bro, that looks like um, like not not a good thing. Right. No, yeah. bueno. no, no, bueno. Bueno. Yeah. Uh, okay. I want. So this is going to kind of be a little twist. But um, so we've talked about PTSD a lot on our show um, or, you know, trauma and sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I'm but, and I have heard about CPTSD. I'm going to have to say it really slowly, uh, but I don't really know a lot about it. And I'm like, is that a newer term? I'm not sure. But so you've lived with CPTSD. Um, Can you tell us as well as our listeners what this is and how it varies from PTSD and also what has helped you work through your CPTSD? Yeah. So CPTSD versus PTSD is essentially just a chronic element. So CPTSD often looks like neglect, emotional abuse, mental abuse, for on a long-term scale. I've, I'm forgetting the exact like DSM requirements for timeline, but I think it's over three months. Mm, mm-hmm. And and then once you're in that space for over three months, you have now acquired CPTSD, which is stands for complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, complex, got it, okay. And the main difference is that the symptoms don't look like you know, I mean, they can look like flashbacks or auditory hallucinations or, uh, you know, what's another classic, like lack of sleep, night terrors, things like that. Um, So you can have all of those things, but also you're going to have things like difficulty relating to people, trust issues, inability to regulate emotions. Um, What's another one? Uh, Hypervigilance. Mm -hmm. Mm, things like that. So it turns more into like a personality trait. And if it goes on from like childhood through, you know, your adulthood. So if it's kind of like something you're born into, you're born into a traumatic family, you can actually like, it changes your brain chemistry. I think PTSD in particular has, thankfully has, has gotten a lot more recognition over the last probably I think 15 years and people almost say it as a buzzword like I have PTSD from X or I have PTSD when I go to the grocery store you know like more of a this minimalistic way to talk about PTSD when you're like bro you don't have PTSD from the grocery Mm -hmm. store you just it was annoying and people say they're triggered but they're just a little irritated yeah they're (laughs) irritated and I I might be guilty of that too because I think that sometimes um because it is such a, a, a way to make people feel like some sort of um knowledge about what your experience was that it was intense and hard and I'm and a lot of it comes from folks that served in the military and that is a very real thing that um 
we are definitely not minimizing. And I'm grateful that there is more of a scope for folks to talk about it and also um, give the give recognition to people that are going through something that is deep within their psyche. It's like their neuro, their, their neuro pathways have been linked to have trauma when certain things happen. Uh, They can't have the bright lights during movies, right? Or they can't, they can't, certain, certain things really will trigger that post traumatic stress disorder and they will shut down and create like, as, as you were saying, and then the chronic piece of it, you said it's cr- a complex, oh, complex. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. complex piece of it, that just means that it's, um, it's like not as specific to an account. Is it something that can be triggered by a variety of situations? Yeah. That isn't more, that's not pinpointed. Yeah. That's not like directly pinpointed to one particular thing. It can be, you can map it out, right? Like I've personally, I know that if I'm, if I see a certain look in a man's eyes, like, especially when I'm in a BDSM scene, I'll, I'll like have a, I'll get triggered, you know, and triggered to the point of like, Like we need to stop the scene. Like I'm going to, I have to go like re-regulate my nervous system type stuff. And so I have those conversations before I play and just to let them know, like, if you're starting to feel really angry from your heart, like, don't look at me Mm. (laughs) or like, turn me around. If that like fuels you and that's what you want, great, but don't let me see that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's going to remind me of like my childhood and an angry parent. And I'm like, not interested in going back there, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like to me though, in a way that you are utilizing your past experience and your life living with CPTSD um, and turning that into almost, um, you You obviously have your boundaries, you have what you can, you can let folks know that you're playing with. Um, and, um, and I'm not going to speak for you. I'd, I'd like you to speak on this, but it sounds to me like perhaps it is something that you've almost taken control of in a way because you can identify it. So let's talk about how you utilize some of your past experiences, um, not only for sex, but as, as part of, uh, the healing journey that you're on as a human. Yeah, totally. So in a more just direct way, I think anytime we go through a dark, challenging obstacle latent period of our lives, there's heaps of lessons to learn. And it was really hard for me to figure out what those lessons were, because when you have PTSD, CPTSD, ultimately they're anxiety disorders. They're categorized under anxiety disorders in the DSM. And so what that means is that your nervous system can't regulate itself. And so you can't see the lesson until you learn to regulate your nervous system. So, um, one of the main ways that I use my past experiences to help me like heal and move forward and also like help create boundaries and things is, is by going to therapy and learning about myself and also learning about what my triggers are and what are different ways that I can control my own reaction. And so that requires a lot of self-reflection. It's been like years of, of, journaling and therapy and, and not being in like committed relationships. Cause that's for me, a big one is committed partnership is a big trigger for me. So it's really beautiful to be in committed partnership. And then also I have to like take space 
because I have to learn like, oh, okay, like what, what was it about their behavior that triggered me? But then also what could I have done differently to protect myself or to communicate better with them so that they're aware of what's going on? Um, and so I think communication is huge. Learning how to communicate, going, going to trauma therapy is big, you know, just gaining tools of learning how to emotionally regulate. One really good one that I loved when I was just beginning to learn what was going on in my body was anytime I would feel big anxiety. So for me, it felt like a ball of fire in my chest. And then that was always often the indicator from on a somatic level that I was like, not on a good path. Mm. And so when I would feel that, I started going to dialectic behavioral therapy, which is all, it's like a CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. But this instead, this doesn't focus on changing your brain. It doesn't focus on changing anything. It focuses on acceptance, mm, interesting, which is huge. Um, and so one of the tools is an acronym called STOP. And I'm forgetting all of the exact things, but if you look up DBT and STOP, you'll get like the, the little acronym for it. But ultimately what it has you do is it has you pause, go like remove yourself from the situation, take a couple of deep breaths and then like analyze what's going on, right? Like check in with yourself. And that was massive because I, I when you live with CPTSD and you're, when you're so used to being in a heightened state, being calm is nerve wracking for you. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know how to tell that I was nervous or that I was on my way to trigger it. It all just felt kind of normal for me. But when I started recognizing this feeling in my chest, I was like, whether or not this is healthy or not healthy, I'm going to stop. I'm going to remove myself and I'm going to check in. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started being able to, that's like a big one, right? That's how I started being able to know like, okay, here, here I am. I'm hurt. My feelings are hurt or I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed out. Like whatever was going on, it started to bring awareness. It gave me the opportunity to pause and, and bring awareness. And so that was, I think the biggest thing, cause that's the hardest part, right? You can't change your behavior. You can't learn how to live with this stuff. You can't heal until you you're aware. Mm-hmm. And so do you, do you take that into the stop method into your set, your sex life too, or is that more outside of the bedroom? It's more outside the bedroom. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I was, I'm curious about, so you, the, the story you're telling earlier about uh, you're playing with a kink partner and if they look at you a certain way, I mean, you know, a certain a man's eyes and it will, it can trigger you. Um, and kind of going with the, the question April just asked, not that one, but the one before that, um, I was thinking like the taking back your power thing. Do you feel like having sexual, ex- and I don't know anything about your C- CPTSD, like, you know, what led up to that and um, you're welcome to share whatever, but that's not my question. My question is, do you feel like having experiences with uh, partners that you feel really safe with where you're like, hey, it, just so you know, if you, if you look at me in this way, I might have a trigger. And so they're already taking care of that in a way that's really considerate. That combined with when you do have a trigger, they can also show up for that, that that helps also heal past stuff or is contributing to the healing of past stuff that you've been through. Absolutely. I think for me, kink, because a lot of my trauma is abuse, uh, and physical, not only emotional and mental, but also physical, um, BDSM and kink has been huge in helping me rewire the narratives, like rewrite the story that 
I can be, I don't have to be helpless in this space. I don't have to be, you know, the small, you know, voiceless character. I can, I can stand up for myself and I can be who I want to be. And I don't have to get hurt after this. Right. And even if I do get hurt, I'm safe and I'm protected. Right. And that's been, that's been huge. But I will say that getting to that point took a lot of trial and error. (laughs) It took a lot of me like putting myself in that position and then being like, oh, shit, I don't actually know how to stand up for myself. And then looking back on the situation and being like, okay, well, this was the exact point when I started feeling unsafe. And as soon as I start feeling unsafe, I shut down. I can't use my voice. So what led up to that? that I could have paused prior. And then it's like, okay, now I have to put myself back into that situation. So it's kind of this like exposure therapy of like, you have to be willing, you have to be ready. And if you don't have someone that you're trusting to do that with, and that's safe to be able to communicate that with, it's the process is just going to take longer, you know, like having someone that you can really communicate with and share that story and be like, and then, and then them come back to you. And I'll never forget like this same partner that I started doing kink with, we hooked up for years and years and years. But we took many spaces of time away from each other, and uh, we reconnected in in a really challenging point in my life. This was right before my like, or I guess it was kind of during my psychotic breakdown. And he looked at me. He's like, "You deserve better." Hmm. He's like, and he's like, "You don't deserve to be doing this to yourself. You don't deserve like you. You're a good human. You're one of the best humans I know." And I see so much good in you and I like, I want to help you get out of this. And I was like, wow, I haven't heard anybody say something like that to me. And I haven't felt that way internally in so long that it was, it was a big moment where I was like, oh, I forgot how healing the power of relationship can be. Cause you, it's easy to cut yourself off. It's easy to be like, I don't want to relate to anybody because people hurt me. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a really big Um, not only admission, also a big statement because we are taught, uh, a lot of folks are taught like, okay, we, we need a relationship to feel X or we need a relationship to feel this way, or I need a relationship or I need to get out of it. I cannot have a relationship. I need to work on me. But at the same time, you really can heal in a relationship if you have the right components. And so I think that that admission is really beautiful because people can be um, this crutch or this stepping stone to you becoming um, a, 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 the person that you want to be. And I think that is huge because there is a lot of self-work that you can do. But I do think it it's all about what you have around you. And you don't have to necessarily be sexual with that person. It could be other relationships too. Mm-hmm. It can totally. be platonic relationships. And um, yeah, I, I, that, I love that, um, that yeah. statement. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, and I would, I would almost say that some of the biggest healing is through platonic relationships mm-hmm. because they're the safest, right? You don't have that, like, you don't have the potential of any of the emotional manipulation that people with a lot of people with complex post-traumatic stress disorder go through that they don't, they can't trust someone that they, that they love, right? But they can trust someone that they love platonically. Mm-hmm. Right. Your best friend yeah. is very different than your boyfriend. Yeah. They don't have like the, par- the parental projections or any of yeah. that. Yeah. yeah right. Very different. And that's why yeah. April will be stuck with me forever. Well, this is <laughs> the thing, though. I feel like growth within relationships, those are my most important and coveted 
friendships, um, sexual partners uh, throughout life. I, I didn't realize that, but when I'm always towing someone like when I, when I'm like, Whoa, and not that it has to serve me. Cause that's not like the way I feel, but there's at times in, in relationships that I've been at this precipice or point where I'm like, okay, this is really like, this is dragging me down. I haven't felt like I, there's been any growth and yeah. it just almost feels like this just deep hole. And that's, that's like time to reevaluate. And I have, and, and I'm not like a, like a fuck you. I'm going to like have guns blazing and leave a relationship. And I'm also not like a really like, okay, hi, let me talk to you about like everything that I feel about you right now, because I don't want to be friends anymore. Um, but I'm like, yo, we slowly drift apart and I still will say what's up to you if I see you out. But like, we're in different places and maybe we won't be in 10 years, but I don't know. Um, that's maybe a, a tangent, but that is we something I've been, I've been thinking yeah. about that a lot because yeah. my relationship now has been really hard. My relationship with my partner, my sexual partner, my life partner, and it's been super hard, but I also have had so much growth And my ex-husband. I married him. I felt like a lot of times I love him still so much, such a good human being, but like it was, I felt like I was always towing him and, and it felt like I would like begrudgingly go home to be like, oh, hey, babe. Did you like, ever do the thing where you like drove around the block a bunch of times and you didn't actually go home because no, you were trying to avoid? But no. I'd sit in my car sometimes and be like, it was about the same uh, thing. That's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so anyway, th those are the like sometimes we, we don't talk about that a lot. Amy and I um, from a personal experience. And I, I just love on the flip side where some sometimes someone can say one little sentence that can drag you out of a hole. And yeah. I love being that person, but I also love when that's happened. If you ever see that guy again, you tell him yeah. I really like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will. Metal, I will. Yeah. Gold star. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had one of those, which I would have like the sexual Sherpa, but whatever the other term was, what, who showed me the gateway uh, drug, the, the, sexual gateway, gateway the, gateway drug. Drug, the kinky gateway drug that showed me, um, that, and that like everything that I, I already knew I was a kinky person, but everything that, that the golden shower guy, the golden shower okay, guy. Yeah. Got it. Oh, yeah. Nice. Every, yeah. Everything that I was, I'm like, I'll try most things once, but I'm a hard note to certain things like scat plays a hard no for me i'm never gonna do that it's just not for me sure. but if it's for you that's cool um but he would bring everything from like a five to a ten in a very safe way though it was yeah. never no coercion no forcing and and then and it helped me to figure out what i liked what i didn't like and i got a whole list of things i didn't like and a whole list of things i did like and so i i really wish that for all people who want to learn more about themselves as sexual beings that they could have experiences with partners who are open, willing, accepting, uh, to all the yeses and the no's, right? right? So that we can, and, and also have past experience so they can inspire us and be like, how about this? You're like, oh, I never even thought about that. Um, totally. Yeah. In the meantime, we have podcasts and coaches like you. Okay. Yeah. So wait, I have a question <laughs> now for you. We're switching gears. Yes. <laughs> Nudism. Yes. Amy, Amy's very passionate. I'm so excited about, about this. this very subject. So because me too. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, what does it mean to be a nudist? Is it sexual? And how does it differ from being an exhibitionist? Ooh. Ooh, good question. <laughs> so, no, nudism is not inherently sexual. Nudism is just the preference to nudity. And so, I, I, I would also say I'm also an exhibitionist, and so. I think if you're a nudist and an exhibitionist, the two can kind of sometimes go hand in hand because you just like to be looked at, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like there are not, there are nudists that are not exhibitionists, but an exhibitionist is someone who, and specifically in the kink realm, 
is someone who likes to be watched and more specifically likes to put on a scene, right? They're the actors of the kink scene, you know, the kink community, right? They're the people that are like, oh, I'm going to be doing a scene at midnight, come watch, you know? Like, that's what they want because they're getting turned on by the fact that they have an audience. Nudists are just like, I just want to go be in nature and be naked and not be bothered. (laughs) Yeah, I feel or, like I'm the first person, like the first, the the former. I'd be like an exhibitionist. Yes. Where I'm like, come and watch yeah. because I love yeah. a scene. I love yeah. creating a scene and I love just adding yes. an audience. So that's, that's great. I didn't and know she's that. also a never nude. Yeah. Too. She's the opposite oh. of a nudist. I don't mind being topless. But I just don't like, I just don't like yeah. to have all of it out there. Sure. <laughs> great. She's not really a never nude. She takes, I've seen her naked. Yeah. But it's, yeah. <laughs> But I, in our, so our <laughs> dynamic is I'm the one that's like, I want to be naked. And like, oh, I'm yeah. naked, Amy. And she's like, I'm going to keep my bottoms on. And, and I'm the one that's up till four in the morning. And Amy's in bed by 945. Except oh for God, that one night. Me like, and Amy are yeah. same, same. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except for that one night when I come out and I'm like, I'm naked. And but she's I, naked I never want to be up that late. I just end up like talking to someone and I get huh. in, like, it's like the, the exhibit, like, it's like, oh, she's a social savant. It's also, can't help it. I love an audience, but I don't like being the center of attention. I love talking to people. Okay, wait, are you a Libra? No. Cancer. (laughs) I'm an anomaly when it comes to the Zodiac. People never think I'm a Cancer. They're always like, are you a Scorpio? Are you a Libra? Are you a Sagittarius? I had never get Cancer. And then they're like, oh yeah, you kind of are very... Like a cancerish. Yeah. yeah, I don't know you well enough to be able to say that, but it's okay. I'm I never, sure. <laughs> never nude cancer who got nude and I got to see it, but I've seen it many times. Um, I always say never so, nude because of the, the I love it. No, I love the never nude. Yeah. Yeah. So with the nude, okay, so it's not inherently sexual, so it's not about sex. So, and, and I think people, though, I, th- I think society thinks that. They're like, if you oh, want to sure. be naked and, because nudists, I believe it's not, they also like to hang out with other nudists, right? There's yeah. like, you know, nudist resorts and things like that. So people are like, oh, it's like everyone's hitting on each other and they're having sex all over the place. It's not right. that, right? It's no. so... So that, yeah, I'm, I have so many questions about it. I don't know. I'm just going to cut April. Yeah, so I'm gonna be I, questions. <laughs> so. I went to a nudist resort actually at the beginning of the pandemic and it was a family nudist resort. Oh. So like there's no open sex at all. Um, so that's like definitely like if you're if you're just a nudist and you're a lot, some of these people there were not like sexually liberated, even in the slightest. Mm-hmm. And so that was an interesting thing for me because I don't want to say I had that misconception that, you know, nudity and sex go together, but it's it's easy to look at someone and sexualize them, right? Especially with just the conditioning that we have in our society. And then it's also like a beautiful thing to be like, oh, you know, I'm like, maybe that's my inherent thought process. And then to be like, wait a minute, let's, let's do away with that. Like, this is just a human being and we're all just having a, hanging out by the pool naked, like no big deal. Right. And there's yeah. like kids also hanging out naked, yeah, right? Like, no I mean, big they, deal. we all came to this earth being naked. naked is beautiful. Yeah. yeah, like I hate wearing a top. I don't right. like being. I hate wearing bottoms. I, so, <laughs> and I do. I have to have my labia quite often when I when I lived in a more uh, isolated spot where I could do that. It yeah. got like a very dark color where I was like, I burned it. I burned oh, it. Wow. I burned it, and then it was uncomfortable, and I was like, damn it, I didn't want to put any sunscreen on it. Right? I was like, no, that's not good. Uh, so. <laughs> So I had to stop. Um, But I will say, like, I lived in Spain. I lived on a lot of uh, uh, beaches. I I lived on, I literally lived on the beach. I didn't, but I was at the beach so often that I felt like I lived there that I, no one wore a top. It was almost awkward to wear a top. And where I live in Santa Cruz, I live, I have a balcony and I will go topless 
on my balcony a special tent for it though. and people will message me like i just went but i do i oh, know a tent, tent for my laptop oh okay so my laptop <laughs> doesn't get overheated so i can work outside and get tan yeah but good. um i people will drive by and i'll get messages like yo i just saw you outside topless and i'm like no you did it but they probably did and my yeah. landlord sometimes was like were you topless like a couple days ago he like because i live in a very public area and i'm like maybe yeah. but i don't know and yeah. my partner and i do walk around but it's our home we're not like trying to get a rise out of people it's just right. like we live in and i'm so that's one reason that i don't want to be the naked so the rise out of people exhibitionism yeah nudism yeah. is so correct me if i'm wrong so is, nudism is something where if it, it feels more inherently natural to you than wearing clothes and you yes. you feel more free and more like you when you're naked than wearing clothes and that's pretty much primarily what it's about it enriches your life because it's more speaks yeah. to you like your soul yeah mic drop just kidding. yeah that's it <laughs> okay you got it you that's, get it well, that's helpful though because yeah i think it is confusing for people we've had emails from we had a listener that emailed us actually a nudist listener too uh, a couple of nudist listeners but one of them was having a hard time because he wanted to go to nudist resorts because he identifies as nudist but his partner wasn't on board for it i forgot what the story was because but they thought it was se sexual yeah exactly or, right. yeah they uh -huh. thought it was like a sexual thing like why would you want to go and do that and and so i think it was hard for this person to describe it's not about that this is like this and so then i think it would come down to like why do you have to be with other people can't you just be naked walking around the house and so then is it exhibitionism but no it's like i want community just like yeah. you know if you like yoga and that's like speaks to your soul and you want to go hang out with other yogis and do yoga with them if I like being naked, I might want to go hang out with other nakeds. I right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you should be allowed to do that, I think. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think if it's not hurting anyone, then. Right. And, and if it's not like if there were if it was creepy nudism where you're going to. Yes. Get like a flashing or flashing <laughs> right. or you're like going to perv on people. That's a different thing. That's totally not. Different. Yeah. And I mean, there are some places where the line gets really blurred and it's about you having your own, you know, boundaries. Like I had an example, I went to Black's Beach down on in San Diego. It's a nudist beach. And I definitely got hit on a lot, which like I don't mind because I'm an exhibitionist. So I'm just kind of like, yeah, look at me, please. You know, but then things got a little bit more, they, they escalated. This guy just started like jacking off. And I was uh, like, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 buddy. Like That's this not is potential. not, yeah. I was like, this is not what this is all about here. You know, like, and I wasn't even like, I wasn't doing anything for him to do that. I was literally just laying on the beach, like hanging out with my friend. And so we had to like literally walk up to this guy mid stroke and like, be like, excuse me, sir. Like, no. And he was like recording us. And I was like, please. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. not cool. Yeah. It's very different. So, yeah. The recording yeah. thing is not cool at all to me because you don't have permission. And I have a, like, I have a problem when people want to record when like I'm like at I don't know when I'm at different events or different um funsies like having funsies with my friends and yeah and they want to like take a like a video of something that's happening I'm like yo no like let's just enjoy it take a mental right. image or video and like share that with yourself right. and talk about it don't take a video because I, I just I don't like that and and I mean, there's been other times, Amy and I've been to events before where people are trying to record, like maybe you and I will be like popping off about something funny or like we'll be doing like some funny, um, yeah. like that, just like, act, but that's like inappropriate probably with sure. 
rubbing our tits on each other. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no one needs to record this. Like, no. Right. Stop. This doesn't need to be public. Like no. some things are allowed to be private. <laughs> and the sanctuary of the nudist beach is that it's a sanctuary. That's why it's its own beach. And there's right. people that are like the nakeds are all going there to go and be naked so that they can feel safe there. So if y'all yeah. are listening, don't go to the places and make people feel unsafe right. by taking away their safety. Yeah. With cameras yeah. or wanking yourself. And I love masturbation. Right. Love yeah. masturbation. Yeah. But that is a con- that is an act that That's involves consent. consent. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. consent violation. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. hundred percent. So what do you think advice for people who want to discover they their ultimate free sexual selves? And they whether it's um with non-monogamy, with kink, with n- being a nudist, um, where do they even get started with this? Yeah. I think ultimately it comes down to being able to like write down what do you want and are you that person? Mm. And if you're not, what is it going to take for you to become that person? Mm. Because here's the thing, (laughs) because here's the thing, like a lot of us want to be a certain type, a certain type of person but maybe don't have the tools to get there just yet. And because we can't sit there and look at ourselves in the mirror and just be totally honest with ourselves and take responsibility for the fact that like we have work that we need to do, we're never going to get to be that person. And this can go like any and every direction, right? Like when it comes to finding your truest, authentic and freest self, it all comes down to being able to accept the good and the bad so that you can then bring awareness and you can move in the direction that is most honest and true for you. Mm-hmm. But if you can't hold those negative parts of you, if you can't you know, use these experiences of these relationships to show you the mirror that you know it was putting up towards you, if all you do is project, then you're never going to learn the lesson, mm-hmm. right? Like you're just going to continue to be the toxic partner. You're going to be continue to be the pervert at the beach, you know, like, but if you take the time to be like, Oh, wait a minute. Like I want to be this person that is consensual. And I'm also this person that wants to jack off at the beach. How, how, like both of those things can be true. How can I be both of those things? And which is more, more important to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so being able to like, I like to write things down because that's how my brain works. But if you're a voice memo kind of a person, great. But like, you need to be able to go back and look at it. Cause if you can't, you know, keep yourself, hold yourself accountable in this like journey to authenticity and to freedom, like it's going to be hard to measure. It's, it's just going to take you longer. You know, if you want to be effective. And now you can do the microphone and then voice and they can write down. So yeah. Voice. For you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. I love that. I use it all yeah. the time. I, lo- mm-hmm. I love like simple journal exercises like that. Cause I, when I feel like when I get really extensive ones, I'm like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? I don't have three hours, but you know, so like for anyone listening or anything, I'm like, okay, I want to discover my ultimate free sexual self. Um, yeah. and I want to know more about that. So you're saying you're writing down what it is you want to be, yeah. And then, and then you're assessing, am I that now? And if your answer is no, then it's what are, what are the pieces that are coming to mind and how I can get there and then starting yeah. to do those things. Right. It's so easy, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, easier said than done, but yeah. Easier said than done. And a lot of it looks like finding your values, mm. right? Like once you start finding your values, you start finding your boundaries, you start finding where you fit in the narrative and how you can become what it is that you're looking for. Yeah. 
And then maybe you could become a, I mean, I have to go back to this, a retired elite rhythmic gymnast turned kinky poly nudist healer, badass artist. I didn't even put those in there too, but <laughs> you're all those things. Uh, author, writer. Um, so can you tell our list? So you do, you work with clients. Um, yes. you, I know you had some sessions today, actually, before we were doing this call. Yeah. Um, so you do coaching. Can you tell our listeners more about the work that you do, how they can find you, work with you, all the fun things? Yeah. So I work in the embodiment space, which for me looks like helping people find freedom somatically. So I use my background in movement and in coaching. I have 10 plus years of coaching since gymnastics to help people understand their bodies and with that, through that process, understand their minds and understand their spirits. And so um, a session can look like a lot of different things. It can look like body work. It can look like a meditation. It can look like breath work. It could look like a yoga session. Um, and it sort of depends on what it is that you're needing where you're, and where you're at. Um, and the way you can work with me is by either DMing me or emailing me or going on my website and um, contacting me through there, which is livethequestion.fitness. That's it. There's no dot com. Live, live <laughs> And they can find you on the social media. I like that. How do they find yes. you on the social yes. media? What are your social handles? Uh, my so my personal is mystic underscore Mish at mystic underscore Mish and Mish is M-E-E-S-H. And then my professional wellness account is at live the question dot wellness. You don't send dick pics, y'all. That's exhibitionism, not yeah. nudism. Right. And non-consensual. Exactly. <laughs> 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 Uh, well, this has been great. I loved everything that you've shared. We, I've, I've learned a lot. I know that Amy also, yeah. I heard her say a couple of aha uh-huh. moments too. <laughs> so thank you for spending this beautiful day with us. And um, we can't wait to see everything else you're going to do, Mish. So yeah. thank you for being with us. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next time for another episode of Shameless Sex. Remember, rate our book, review our book, Check it out. Read our book. It's awesome. You can listen to our book book too. Buy it. Read it. Do all the things. Uh, Reviews only help more people out there find Shameless Sex and you will help the world be a better place. So it's on you now. It's on you. Okay. We did our part. Now it's on you. No pressure. Okay. No pressure. (laughs) All right, y'all. Ciao for now. Want to learn more? Go to shamelesssex.com. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code shamelesssex at purepleasureshop.com.